I'm Jeffrey Wright, Amherst class of 1987, and this is Amherst at 200, celebrating mind, heart, and community. We're back with four new episodes. You'll hear conversations I had with Bill Ford, Fede and Ale Sucre, Rebecca Siegel, and Roseanne Haggerty. Bill and I talked about the future of entrepreneurship and the potential in science and technology. Bill, thank you so much for agreeing to be part of this podcast series. Why don't you introduce yourself? Thanks, Biddy, and uh, thanks for having me as part of this uh, wonderful podcast series that the college is producing. Um, I'm Bill Ford. I'm a class of 1983, Amherst College, and uh, currently I'm the, uh, the CEO of a private equity firm called General Atlantic, based in New York, but operating globally, and uh, that occupies uh, most of my time. Bill, let's start with your work. What kind of investing do you do at General Atlantic? Let me go back and give a very, very brief introduction to General Atlantic because it will lead to to, uh, your question. But um, we were founded in 1980 as a a firm to, to manage wealth for a wealthy family and then really developed and grew the firm over the, the next 40 years. And where we are today is um, we're a private equity firm focused on growth investing. We invest approximately eight to $9 billion per year in growth companies in five sectors and five geographies. So we're active in the US, Europe, India, China, Southeast Asia, and Latin America. And we're active in five sectors, which is technology, financial services, healthcare, consumer, and life sciences. When we talk later about my Amherst journey, a lot of the things I learned at Amherst led to what I do. I mean, there's there's a couple of very large themes that are driving our investment program. And one is really the shift of global growth towards Asia. And if you really study you know, economic patterns right now, it's clear that China, Southeast Asia, India, and other parts of Asia are really driving growth and will drive growth over the next several decades. And so we've tried to position ourselves to tap into that. The driver of that is really a dramatically expanding middle class. We've really tried to tap into that growth to find investment opportunities. And the second big one is um, the shift to a digital economy. We know this from our lives every day. I mean, every aspect of our lives, every sector of the economy, every geography is somehow being impacted by technology and transitioning to a digital world. And that's creating a whole set of opportunities for us. I'll add a third point, which has been really fun for me, is uh, the globalization of entrepreneurship. And when I started at General Atlantic in 1991, When people thought about startups and entrepreneurship and venture capital, it was really a story about the United States and a story about Silicon Valley. And if you fast forward to today, entrepreneurs are everywhere. I mean, we're seeing some of the most exciting companies in places like Brazil, India, China. And uh, and I think that's great news for the world that, you know, entrepreneurs are are solving problems, creating jobs, making their uh, countries and communities better. So that's been a, a wonderful thing to watch. And, we, and we're obviously trying to tap into that as well as uh, as investors. Bill, are you optimistic about the kinds of companies and regions that you're invested in? I really am. I, I mean, I come down on the side of optimism, despite the world facing many, many challenges right now, whether it's climate, you know, geopolitical conflict, the divide between rich and poor, those are all real uh, 
significant problems that the world needs to address. But but underneath that, there is such excitement about some of these digital entrepreneurs and how they're transforming their countries through new ideas and new businesses. And you know, one one in our portfolio that I think is particularly inspiring and connects back to Amherst is a company called Byjuice, which is uh, basically democratizing education in India because uh, through using online platforms, it's delivering very, very high quality education to really the entire Indian community and people who were, you know, did not have access to, to education and leveraging the fact that there are now 400 million people in India who are, who are, are accessing the internet every day. And that to me, again, is inspiring and, and gives you a, a lot of hope uh, about what's happening. And, and that's happening really everywhere. Bill, given your involvement and interest in education, how do you think about the, the future of the kind of education that an Amherst offers? Let me make a comment as an investor and then come back to why I think Amherst is more relevant today than ever. I think what's happening with technology is it's, it's really opening up a, a number of service areas that have been resistant to change and dynamism. And I, the ones I put in there are, are really led by healthcare and education. Those two have been resistant to um, really evolution. And I think what, we, what the pandemic did uh, by forcing us to work virtually was, to, you know, when you think about telemedicine, you think about online education, it, it broke out during this period because it was essential to getting people going. And I think that, again, that's to me very, very hopeful um, because it, it says that I think great institutions of learning and great healthcare institutions are going to find ways to incorporate digital technology into their offerings. And in doing so, I think they'll make it available to a wider audience, a wider set of people can be served, and it will even enhance the offerings that they have. Why then is a place like Amherst and the education it offers more relevant than ever? The pace of change in the world is accelerating. I think we all feel that every single day. And the problems are, are coming faster and the problems are significant. And we need more critical thinkers. We need more fact-based thinkers. We need more informed thinkers and ones who have covered a, a wide range of ideas uh, and, and, and disciplines. I mean, I think what's always amazed me is how so many times I return back to things I learned at Amherst, you know, a long, now a very long time ago, you know, whether it's about a neuroscience class that reminds me of the life sciences investing that we're doing now, you know, the economics classes and how they relate to how we look at both microeconomics and macroeconomics every single day, the history classes that help me understand if you don't take into account and understand Chinese history, you'll never understand the problem of U.S.-China conflict. And I mean, it just all those things come together and just remind me that the work we do to create the minds of the future, the critical thinkers of the future is so critical or so important to the world that we're in. And um Again, I think it's more important ever, especially in a world that seems to be to, to sort of turn its back on facts and uh, and really uh, seeking to understand these issues. Bill, you are seen, I happen to know, in your world, in your industry as as what one person called a the class act for acting with integrity and for investing uh, on the basis of what you consider to be important values. 
uh, in doing business in the world. I'm wondering how would you how would you describe what guides you in your thinking about General Atlantic? Well, I, I think there's maybe two thoughts on that, Biddy, that are maybe relevant to, to that. One is that we've always thought of ourselves as being great long-term partners to the people we work with. And that requires you to behave ethically to build long-term partnerships. And and our partners are the uh, investors. It's our partners and employees that we work with every day. Uh, it's the, uh, the executive teams and employees at the companies that we invest in. It's the companies that we operate in. And we, we, we've always felt that we have to be a great partner and add value to those relationships. And we never saw them as um, purely economic relationships, per, purely one to extract monetary value over the short term. We never saw them in the context of win-lose. It was always about you know, building a, a true partnership, a true relationship that was good for everybody. And, and the second is something we got from our founding investor, Chuck Feeney, who was the founder of the, of the duty-free shopper business. And then he went on to found the Atlantic Philanthropies and one of the great, um, the great philanthropists of, of our generation. And, um, you know, he always taught us that very early in our careers, it was important to give back in a meaningful way to the world that we live in. And he meant, and he meant philanthropy, but he meant active philanthropy, not just writing a check, but getting involved. And, and, um, and that's something at the, at the firm we've really, we really espouse. We have our own foundation. Uh, we support a great social um, entrepreneur group called Equine Green Foundation. And we really just encourage our, our youngest professionals to do something in the community and with their time and energy and intellect and not just their money. And uh, and then and that scales all the way up to our, our managing directors and partners who you know, are involved in many great uh, institutions, you know, like Amherst and others that um, we were, I think we're trying to make a positive impact. You've certainly given back in time and resources to your alma mater, Amherst College. You served as a trustee for two terms. You've been honorary chair of a campaign. You've endowed professorships. You've named a dorm. Talk about the rewards of the philanthropy that you do. Well, I think there's... Um... There's just something so special and wonderful about giving back to an institution that did so much for you and and coming full circle and being able to, to apply the skills that you have and the experience you have to make that institution better. And in my case, um, I chaired the investment committee for a long for the 12 years when I was a trustee and a little bit a little bit longer than that. It was a it was a privilege uh, and it felt great to be able to apply what I do professionally to the college and help the college. And, you know, talk about being mission driven. We knew that every dollar we earned was probably going back to financial aid in some way. And so it it, it felt very important, the work that we were doing. And then there's all the other benefits of, you know, connecting with an amazing trustee group, working with yourself and the, a great, a great administration of the college. And all that is really deeply satisfying, you know, staying, being exposed to the students, which uh, is always wonderful and doesn't really happen that naturally if you don't have an opportunity like that. And so all those things were just, just made it really a, a great experience. And I believe all of us during those four years were so fundamentally impacted by the college uh, that the ability to give back to it uh, is um, 
really amazing. Bill, tell me how you got to Amherst and and what you remember about your experience, uh, not just academically, but I'm I know that you have friends that you uh, probably made while you were still still a student. It's fun to watch now as I'm a lot older and I see so many of my my classmates and you know I'm still having such deep friendships with the with their colleagues here we are closing in on 40 years but uh, I, I got I you know public school kid from New Jersey and a pretty good student Ed Wall was the Dean of Admissions was known for taking chances and uh, took a chance on me and uh, I remember visiting the college with my parents and and um, like we all so many of us went on those college tours with our, our parents in the during junior year and that, you know, kind of fell in love with the place. Uh, Bill, you, you played lacrosse. You also, didn't you play rugby? I did. I picked up rugby. I was a football player in high school and then I played rugby for four years. That was a lot of fun because maybe it was my entrepreneurial streak, Biddy, but it was a, 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 a not part of the athletic department. It was a non-sanctioned uh, independent organization. We had to sort of fund ourselves and uh, manage ourselves in some way. And and that was awfully fun. But uh, it was a great group of people that are still very, very close friends from the from the Amherst rugby team. <laughs> I I have often thought it's the craziest sport it of is all. Cra- it I is mean, cra- there's no equipment, and you do everything you can to to kill each other. Yeah, but it I was, was going to say to kill had, each other. Yeah, but we had a lot of we had a lot of fun, and it was um and I and the, I, we weren't we weren't the best team, but the team went on to greater heights uh, after I left. But we did beat Williams three out of four times. So um, here, here, I take I take great pride in that, and, and I don't know if they still have the tradition, Biddy, but we used to uh, play for jerseys. So if you beat them, they had to give you their jersey, and uh, there was a there was tremendous pride when they had to take their their rugby jersey off and hand it over to you at the end of a game. So we had a heck of a lot of fun with that. I hope they had. I hope they still have that tradition. It was very good. Wow, there's so many things I'd love to talk about. Tell me about your space investment, Bill. I always tie it back to Amherst. I, I you know, one of the things that's been great about being an investor is uh, intellectual curiosity, again, which I picked up, I think, at the college and in some of the great classes that I took there. But I, I love learning and I love learning new things. And the great thing about growth investing and about entrepreneurs is they always come up with new things to figure out. And, you know, during my career, it was um, it was the Internet. It was financial technology. Uh, then it was life sciences. And now it's space. Um, and, uh, you know, I came across uh, a company that we invested in a, a meaningful amount of money in called Sierra Space, which is basically building a space plane that will service the International Space Station that will be up till about 2030, as well as uh, the, 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 the 5,000 satellites that operate in low Earth orbit right now that provide everything from GPS to communications to TVs. Uh, signals and um, and this the space plane. Think of it as a uh, a thirty year modernized version of the space shuttle that will be unmanned in doing trips out into space to bring cargo, bring back cargo, and then a manned version that will bring astronauts uh, to and from the space station to and from space. I have always really enjoyed talking with you about the life sciences, and I was just blown away by the impact that the uh, mm-hmm. genome sequencing had had. And as yeah. a German study yeah. scholar, you know, it was uh, all uh, a revelation. You chair the board at Rockefeller, and that must be really 
that must be really exciting. Oh, it's, uh, it's, I pinch myself, Biddy, with that one. Um, you know, we've won two Nobel Prizes in the last three years and 26 Nobel Prizes in our history as an institution of about 100 years. So it's, uh, it's, it's pretty great. But, you know, back, back to intellectual curiosity and back to Amherst a little bit before I come to Rockefeller. I mean, I'm an economics major. I'm a, I'm a finance guy. And um, what am I doing getting involved with science? And, but what you're taught at Amherst is to try you know, lots of new things, learn stuff you don't know about. And I remember in, in my senior year, I took a neuroscience class. And then really by chance, um, a couple things happened to me when I was in New York. I was invited um, at a relatively young age to be a trustee at Rockefeller University and also at Memorial Sloan Kettering, the cancer hospital. And uh, I said, well, you know, I don't know, I don't know anything about science and really medicine at all. Um, and we weren't investing in the area at the time. But I said, you know, I'd, I'd like it because I'm going to learn something different that I don't know about. So I, I, uh, I, I, that's the reason why I accepted. And they were, they were both terrific institutions doing great work. Um, in the case of, of Rockefeller University Biomedical Research, in the case of, of Memorial Sloan Kettering, um, they did, you know, they, they have a very large clinical operation and a very, very large research institution that, go, that is doing some of the, the, the most impactful research in the area of oncology. And Mark Tesley Levine, my friend who was the uh, president of Rockefeller, he's now the, the president uh, at, at uh, Stanford University, said, you know, we're moving into the golden age of biology. Uh, we're going to see innovations that are going to really transform humanity during our lifetimes. And, and it really came on the back of uh, the Human Genome Project and understanding the genome and, and really um, the, the depth of knowledge that started to develop around cellular biology. And, um, and those things came together uh, a lot of the way in the technology space as we really started to understand um, you know, um, computing and semiconductors and all that came together in a way that led to the, you know, a 50-year-plus revolution in technology. I think the same thing, cell biology and, and, and genomics are going to come together in a way to lead to tremendous innovations over the next 50 years. Think about the war on cancer that Nixon launched. And the problem is they didn't understand the mechanisms enough. The science wasn't there no matter what the will of the country was, no matter how much money you spent, the knowledge, the intellectual capital did not exist to understand how you could solve the problem. And the same with, with computing. Until they basically created uh, the integrated circuit and they really didn't have a way of advancing computing and technology. But with the Genome Project, um, we suddenly had the building block of understanding and you could lead to a, a whole generation of therapies. And and that's what we're in the middle of right now. That makes me think, of course, of COVID and the development of the vaccine. You know, I'm sure, that Stephen Hogue, the president of Moderna, is Amherst class of 98. They designed the actual vaccine in 48 hours after sequencing the virus on a computer. And it's just mind-blowing. It's that they, they could sequence the, the virus very, very quickly. And once they sequence it, they could actually design on a computer a vaccine that would work on the, and solve the problem of that of what the virus was and you know so so we're in a we're, we're in for a period of tremendous innovation and tremendous breakthrough in human health as a result 
And th this was going on before the pandemic, but with the pandemic it was raised the awareness to a dramatic level about how important this work is. And if you look at some of the data in cancer, I mean, you know, the survivor rates are orders of magnitude higher than they were, you know, just 20 years ago because of what we know. And again, it goes back to the importance of science, the importance of knowledge. Uh, you know, as you know, I'm I'm been a massive advocate of Amherst deepening its capability in in the scientific areas because I think that there's so much, you know, some of our some of our graduates will I think play very important roles in some of these some of these developments. So it's it's pretty exciting. That's for sure. Well, I'm thankful to you for agreeing to do this. I could not, as I wrote to you, I couldn't imagine having a series without one of my very favorite people in the world. Well, thank you, Betty. You're, you've been a great leader for the college and more importantly, a great friend. So that and that will endure. I hope so. And I'll make sure I see you or talk to you uh, no matter where I am. Absolutely. Thanks for listening. I'm Jeffrey Wright. Amherst class of 1987, and this is Amherst at 200, celebrating mind, heart, and community. A production of Amherst College in association with Cadence 13, narrated by me, Jeffrey Wright. Executive produced by Biddy Martin, Ian Mont, and Rebecca Kennedy. Produced by Catherine Duke, Bette Schumacher, and Sandy Janelius. Written, directed, edited, and mastered by Ian Mont. Technical and equipment support by Sean Cherry. Creative consultation by Catherine Duke, Carly Nardowitz, Connolly Stokes-Buckles, and Molly Whalen. Music from Source Audio and Extreme Music. Archival support from Michael Kelly. Thank you.